Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is George Marshall. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the Mount, and it's my pleasure to bring a message from First Thessalonians um, as we continue our series, uh, the first five for 2023. Um, so you can turn there to First Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. I'll give you just a moment, and then I will read it. Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Will you pray with me? God, would you take uh, your word this morning and burden us to love one another better, um, to live the gospel just as much as we proclaim the gospel. God, to submit to you, to let the Spirit move in our lives, to let the Word dwell richly in all we say and do. So God, would you open this Word to us? In Jesus' name. Amen. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Wouldn't you love to have that kind of praise from a spiritual parent, a discipler, maybe even a real parent? Paul's praise is exuberant. It's unmistakably heartfelt. His ministry is consistently one that's been characterized by suffering, by affliction, struggle to see the message proclaimed, and for a moment he can simply rest, breathe a sigh of relief and revel in the fact that these Thessalonian believers have proven his suffering worth it. It hasn't been in vain. What he's doing is worth it. 
but we can still ask why. Um, this is the start of a letter, not the end. So why start here? To ask it another way, what's Paul's main point to the Thessalonians as he begins this letter? Where is he going with his prayers and praise? And the short of it is this. Paul says, your work, exertion, and steadfastness has been worth it. Don't quit now. Don't grow weary. Look ahead to the hope you are called to and keep pressing forward. They've received the word well. They imitated Paul and Silas and Timothy just as they imitated Christ. And now the church in Thessalonica is an example to a watching world of what the church can do when it holds to and holds out the word. When the Spirit's given free reign to build up and grow the church in holiness and mission. And so he says, press forward, keep on going, don't quit. The title of this message this morning is Three Things About the Word. Three Things About the Word. But this isn't a really, it's not a three-point kind of sermon, so sorry but not sorry. Um, Instead, we're going to explore a series of triads, a series of three things. Um, And in each of these series of threes, we're going to see the power of the word to create life and community, to extend salvation to a sin-sick world, to see the glory of God's mercy and grace. And so let's look at the first triad, which points us to signs of a healthy church produced by the word. That first triad we see in verses 2 through 5. The first triad is work, labor, and endurance. It's the work of faith, the exertion or labor of love, the endurance of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The words of the gospel have proven effective in this community of believers. Their work of faith is the natural overflow of hearts that have been regenerated, hearts that are renewed by God's new covenant work. Paul isn't specific. He doesn't give us a blueprint for what that looks like. What, what What amounts to this work of faith? Caring for those who are sick in the body? Eating together? Proclaiming the message? All of it is included. All of it. It it isn't a constant straining to prove themselves holier than their neighbors. It's not a work, an effort to show themselves holy. It isn't a striving to please God to earn salvation to get in on God's good side. Instead, it's a longing to please their Lord and Savior, making good on the faithfulness that he extended. The salvation to the nations that he offers to you and to me. Ultimately, it's an empowered work. Work with the weight of the Holy Spirit behind it. The words of the gospel meet the power of God the internal working of the Holy Spirit, and hearts committed to killing sin, and what? The words of the gospel produce fruit. But that fruit doesn't come easy. 
The tree needs tending and watering and nourishment. Do we expect sometimes discipleship to be easy? Do we wonder and groan at the way sin still trips us up? At the way our desires for personal glory still dominate? We we seek personal satisfaction, a good reputation, unimpeded happiness and blessing. I'm going to do what I want. All too frequently, I'm prepared to say the right words, to acknowledge sin, to forgive, to submit to the Spirit, but then, well, it's just a little too hard. Requires a little bit more than I'm willing to pay. Um, we get all rich young ruler. Sell what you have and you will, you will have treasure in heaven. And we go away sorrowful for we have great riches, great possessions, great dreams, a great desire for leisure and happiness and retirement. The easy path. The Thessalonians had the example of Paul and Silas and Timothy. They saw the way Paul had sacrificed himself to extend the word. They saw that Paul persevered undeterred, and so they, having received the word, are prepared for labor, for exertion. The word has produced in them a spirit to labor in love, to put their backs into it, to forgive and be forgiven, to live in community, even when that community calls them into relationship with natural enemies. To to echo Paul's instructions to Timothy, little bit later from this. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. That echoes Paul's thoughts here in this passage exactly. It's exertion, it's toil, it's a labor of love towards one another. And hand in hand with this is endurance. You might say patience or steadfastness, depending on the version. It's not just an iron will. Paul has in mind the hope that presses them on to eternal glory. This is the endurance of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a New Year's resolution. It's the work of faith and the labor of love in light of the promises of Jesus. Jesus said he was going to return. He said that he's the resurrection and the life. The spirit within them testifies to Christ's continued work that is leading somewhere. They've seen Paul endure hardships for the word, and now the word calls them to endure hardships with Christ. And they do it with joy. The the, the passage says they do it with joy in the Holy Spirit. They can endure because the Lord is in sovereign control. The Lord is worthy of worship. The Lord is the great king of creation and redemption and recreation. The Lord is the one who's called them brothers and sisters, ensuring them of inheritance with the true son. The Lord is the one who's commissioned them to proclaim the message of the gospel. And so they gladly endure. 
And just so our individualistic ears can hear it, Paul is not talking to individual believers. He's talking to a church. It's all too easy to read, to hear, or gloss over this as individuals in aggregate, to look for a personal application. I hear the letter, what does it mean to me, and miss what Paul is saying. The word has absolutely gripped the heart of individual Thessalonian believers. He's filled them with the Holy Spirit. He sealed each one, declaring them his own, guaranteeing their hope of resurrection with Christ on the last day. But Paul's praise is a corporate possession. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope. And Paul doesn't even stop there. These aren't the end goal for Paul. They're just the blessed beginning. Because of these things, these undeniable proofs of the word, the gospel alive in these believers, he can state with confidence, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. What a blessed assurance. We can know, but it requires us to look honestly at the fruit in our lives. And that fruit in our lives we must measure by lives lived in community. It's not just, am I being personally holy, but how am I relating to my brother, my sister in this body? Such confidence is the fruit of the word in hearts that work at faith, that labor in love, that endure in hope. Such confidence comes through submission to the word and to one another. And that brings us to the second triad. Um, which is an extension of the first triad in our own setting here in Clemson, here at the Mount Tabor Baptist Church, the Mount. We exist to display the glory of God's grace in Jesus Christ by proclaiming him to all peoples for their everlasting joy in God. That's our vision. We do that by treasuring Jesus, cultivating his community, and embracing his commission the second triad shows us how the word creates mission. Treasuring, cultivating, embracing. And this missional triad shares much in common with the first triad. And we're going to look at that. So let's look at each one in turn. As a body, our first mission is to treasure Jesus Christ. It's to ascribe Jesus our Lord and Savior honor and praise in light of his atoning work, his lordship of the church. It's to persist, persist in a posture of thankfulness, of gratitude for his abundant grace. Just as the Thessalonians, we read, it, it's a work of faith as we respond to our circumstances in the joy of the Spirit. Trusting that our Savior has been where we are, has triumphed over sin, has triumphed over darkness, has triumphed over death, that he stands as our advocate that he sent the Spirit to empower us, to convict us of sin when necessary. That he rules as Lord over creation ultimately leads to the fact that it's a labor of love. As we obey his commands, submitting to him when our flesh wars against the Spirit, submitting to the Word and one another as gifts from a loving and all-wise God, we don't often think of it, but it's ultimately a light yoke. As we take up our cross joyfully, imitating Jesus, ready to please God in all things, 
and its endurance in hope. As we, with all God's saints, long for the blessed day when the already not yet is just already. When we may with one voice sing the song of the redeemed face to face with Jesus Christ, sinless, healed, and overflowing with joy because Jesus has been already the dearest, the deepest treasure of our hearts. And these all flow from the word at work in our body. It's the word that tells us who to worship. It's the word that tells us how to worship. And it's the word that tells us why to worship. Our second mission is to cultivate his community. As with our first mission, it's the word that tells us who we are. It's the word who tells us who God is, what he has accomplished. It's the word that tells us what he is accomplishing in us and even who we are becoming as his people. Cultivating community is part and parcel with the work of faith. That's what the Thessalonians were engaged in and it's what we are to be engaged in. They cared for one another and they took care of one another. They lived in community defined by the gospel that they had seen proclaimed by Paul and seen lived out by Paul same gospel that he had received from Christ himself. Cultivate is a lovely word, uh, but I actually hate yard work. Because it's work, right? Hard work. I don't like it. But it, it is exertion of the best sort. Uh, you might even say it's a labor of love, to use the passage again. So we cultivate this community. We carefully water the, the Jennifer Rosemary we make sure that there is mulch all around the Jonathan Foxgloves, and we trim the Brian Mahonia so it can thrive in its wintry yellow shrubbiness. All plant puns aside, we cultivate as community by drinking deeply from the well of Scripture in community. And then God's grace overflows within and among us. We experience the word together as each deals with sorrow and joy, success and failure. We live in community with one another because, not because we chose it, but because God has called us into relation with himself and with each other through the word of the gospel. God is the one who's called us into community, and he's the one who unites, who binds us together. It's not our choice. It's God's choice. And then the final word of this triad, we embrace his commission. Jesus' words from Matthew tell us that we are to go making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And enthroned since Pentecost, he's given the Spirit to illuminate Scripture and empower the mission of the church. The work of faith draws us in to share the faithfulness of the God we know. The labor of love calls for more than casual acceptance. It calls us to exert ourselves to see our families and our neighbors hear the message of Christ. The endurance of hope in Jesus Christ calls us to urgency in that proclamation. As we share the gospel, it can't wait. We know the time is short, the days are evil, and we have a mission right now. All of this because the word commands, the word sends, the word separates, and the word comforts. And finally, the word prepares us to proclaim the gospel. 
So are we availing ourselves of those opportunities for discipleship in this body? Speaking to the guys specifically, are you making men's discipleship a priority? We finish out 1 John 5 in two weeks. And then we'll start looking at a book entitled Identifying Heart Change. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's Identifying Heart Transformation. Okay. Be there. Be there. See you. Be there. Be there. We, we have donuts. You can sleep later. Make this time in the Word and these relationships a priority. Lord willing, these are the men you will turn to when you're hard-pressed by sin. These are the people who will rejoice over your attempts to share the gospel with your neighbors. These are the people who will come alongside you when you don't know how to help your coworker or your classmate understand the gospel. And similarly, ladies, are you growing in your relationships here? Who will you turn to when you need someone to hear you, someone who knows your struggles and challenges? Same as I said for the guys, take the opportunity for discipleship and community here seriously. It, it is work. It's exertion. It's endurance. Um, there's something, though, particularly glorious about community centered around the Word with all God's providential care and attention. We experience the Word together and not just in our own lives, but together. So will you be a part of that? Will you support one another as the body of Christ? Will you be part of us as we strive to imitate Christ as examples of God's loving kindness in the world? The main point for the Thessalonians is the main point, again, for us. Your work, exertion, and steadfastness has been worth it. Don't quit now. Don't grow weary. Look ahead to the hope you're called to and keep pressing forward. And that brings us to triad number three, which tells us something about how the word produces an engaged church, a reproducing church. And we find this triad in 1 Thessalonians 5 through 9. It reads, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Triad number three is a Holy Spirit-empowered spiral of word goodness, consisting of receiving the word, becoming imitators, and becoming examples. The church in Thessalonica first received the word. They received it in the midst of affliction, having seen Paul persevere in affliction. But they embraced it with joy, it says, joy in the spirit. They then imitated Paul and his companions, and ultimately, Jesus. Because as we, Im as we imitate, we are striving to imitate Jesus. By imitating Paul's faithfulness to the Word, by imitating Paul's persistence in gospel proclamation, his resoluteness in the face of opposition, they themselves became the model for surrounding communities of believers. No more than that. As, as Paul 
starts arriving in new cities with the gospel before he can even get the words out of his mouth. This is Christ. The people are already excited. We heard about you. We heard about the power of the gospel and how it changed those in Thessalonica. Paul longs for that to continue and even increase. And so should we. Your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, Paul says. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. The Thessalonians haven't been silent. They get the urgency of the gospel. They've seen Paul's example of diligence and faith-filled work, loving exertion, hopeful endurance. The word has generated in them such a change that it commends the gospel. It isn't even a question if they will proclaim the gospel they live, but when they live with the urgency that the gospel demands. Again, Paul says to them and to us, don't give up, don't stop. The word propels our witness. It first engages us in community and prepares us for the cost, but in doing this, it propels our little community towards our neighbors, then the nation, then the nations. Nothing commends the gospel to a watching world more than a church that truly loves to hear from God's word, where the people love one another despite our differences and despite our circumstances. Where the priority of the word that leads to faith takes center stage and is constantly changing lives and priorities. So as we step into 2023, let this year be a year that we excel, every one of us, at receiving the word of God with joy in the spirit. Let us imitate our leaders and one another as each of us imitates Christ. And let's pray that God would see fit to make us an example of faithfulness to the word. Not us individually, but us as a body. May we be examples of lives lived in response to the gospel, killing sin in our lives, rending idols from their protected positions. May our prayers be filled with scripture, our songs with words of praise and lament, intercession and commission, our preaching with the gospel, our evangelism filled with the hope in the word of Christ. May our social media presence be wise and patient. May our tweets drip with the honey-sweet fruit of the Spirit. May we, everything we do and say reflect Christ fully. In all of this, Paul tells us again, don't give up. Don't grow weary. God has called you into his glorious service, so keep pressing toward the goal. And then in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10, we find yet another triad. And this will be triad number four. Triad four points us to the fact that the word is responsible for the nature of the church. And what is that nature? At its core, the church is, and I apologize, no, I don't really apologize, for the long words because they're beautiful, they're powerful and expressive, but I'll explain them. At its core, the church is doxological, it is logocentric, and it is pneumodynamic. And you can thank Greg Allison for those words. But they're nice. So doxological. In other words, the nature of the church is to be a body giving glory to God. Its primary nature of the church 
is to give glory to God. And we do that because we have the word, we know who God is from the word, and we have how to approach him from the word. And so we're called to give glory to God. Second, it rests on the word of God. To be logocentric is to be centered on the, the logos, the, the, the Christ himself, the word of God, and on his word, scripture. So ultimately, the church in nature is giving glory to God. It is resting on the word of God who took on flesh and who is revealed in scripture. And then it is fundamentally a community, a body, a temple filled and empowered by the spirit. We don't do it on our own. We're not just a loose association, but a body brought together for mission by the spirit himself. So how do we see this in the passage? First, the word of God produces a body that gives glory to God a body that gathers for mutual support but fails to give honor to its Lord can hardly be called a church. In today's passage, we can just look at the praise offered by Paul. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. It's a place of praise where we see God work and we respond to God. We don't just see each other and go, you're doing a great job but we see God working in you. He sees encouragement. He oft tells them to press on in light of Christ who has overcome death and will come again with life eternal. The church is fundamentally a body created to glorify God. The church is a body who responds with joy in the face of affliction. It is about glory. It's about proclamation of that glory. Second, the church is a creation of the word of Scripture and not the other way around. The world wants to say Scripture is the creation of the church, but it isn't. The church creates. The church is a creation of the Word. To be the church is to live lives submitted to the Word in all its countercultural wisdom and instruction. The church receives the Word with joy in the Holy Spirit it's the word received that created the body that Paul praises. The word makes us what we are. We do not make it. The scripture is the very truth of God, not the invention of man. Third, the church is a body empowered by the spirit. It's a new covenant community. It's not like the world, not even like Israel. It's a redeemed community through the word. Every member of the church is one who has responded to the gospel with faith and repentance. We've been chosen not for our glowing spiritual resumes, but out of God's good pleasure and mercy. It's this sort of community that can be commended for the work of faith, for the labor of love, and the endurance of hope, because these things rest on the completed work of Christ that we find in the scripture that creates the church. Triad 4B, or I don't, it's not 5, it's 4B. Because the church that results from the word is a Trinitarian work. You might have already kind of looked at that as we talked doxological and logocentric and pneumodynamic. But ultimately what we see is that the church is just one example of how God in three persons has related to man in unity as a cohesive whole as an inseparable work, 
of God towards his people. The church directs its praise to God the Father according to the word as it rests on the finished atoning work of the divine Son who is the word of God. Father and Son together send the Spirit to empower the church and its mission of gospel proclamation according to the promises of Scripture in the hope of being conformed to the image of Christ. All three work together as one through the word to save, to create a peculiar people, a rich inheritance to God who treasures his own. We often talk about us treasuring Jesus, but how often do we talk about, as we did last week, God treasuring us by giving us the word? And that brings us to triad five. Don't worry, there's not many more. Triad five tells us that the way the word produces the character of the local church. So triad four was the nature of the church. Triad five is really how it produces the character of the church. And the three words are covenantal, confessional, and missional. So covenantal. We see this in the passage as Paul commends your labor your steadfastness, your work. There's a definite you. It's not just individual Christians in private devotions, private evangelistic efforts, private holiness. It's not a loose association. It's a body called together by Christ to covenant with one another, to commit to one another so that we commit one-on-one. We commit as a body to encourage each other in the face of temptation to share with one another with the word, to tell one another when we see us slipping into sin. It's covenantal. It's based on us committing to one another. That's what we see in the word. It's confessional. There's a content to the faith is the idea there, that we don't have just a body that is called together to just talk and and say happy, encouraging things. There's a content to the gospel. It isn't just whatever we want to make it. The Thessalonian believers in this passage, they proclaimed a message that they had heard. They didn't just, oh, good, that was great, Paul, and then share something else. They took what they had heard, they imitated it, and they passed it on. And so the church we see is confessional. And then finally, it's missional. We already talked a little bit about this as we talked about our own sort of mission statement, but ultimately, we don't associate with the church to accomplish mission. It's not an addendum to our private lives. Rather, the church is mission, and it sends us out, just as it did to the Thessalonians. And so we should remember the words of Jesus in Matthew. We already said them, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Who do we see there? We see covenantal. He's baptizing them into community. He's making, we're called to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's not just mission, evangelistic, it's There's a specific body of teaching. It's Jesus' words we're passing on. It's the testimony about Jesus. It's the testimony about what God has done to redeem 
fallen man. There's a definite, definite confessional element to what the church looks like. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission is about the character of the church he's going to build. It's not just evangelistic. It's not less than that. But the Great Commission is about the character of the church as well. It says those same things. It's covenantal, it's confessional, and it's missional. That's who we're to be. And we do that because of the word, just as the Thessalonians did, and Paul praised the Thessalonians for. Okay, our last triad, this is triad number six, is that the word is living. The word is active. And that's what we're going to read, verses 9 through 10. But before we do that, no, actually right there. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here we see most clearly what Paul means by the endurance of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that he talked about in verse 2. The word is living, it's active. It comes from a living God who raises Jesus from the dead and who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's the triad, living God from the dead who delivers from the wrath to come. The word from God engages life, we could say present, past, and future, all time for us. The word of God is living and active. The Thessalonians had written to Paul asking for clarity on those who had died waiting for Christ to come, for Christ's return. And Paul assures them that the word they have believed comes from a living God. Not a dead one, not a man-made idol, comes from a living God. Their trials and testing, their suffering for the sake of the gospel is therefore worth it. Christ is going to return. He will return. It's a settled fact that they can take to the bank. Death will be no barrier to his lordship. Death stands defeated because the word produces life and hope. It comes from one who lives eternally, who lives more truly than we do. The one who, receive, the one who is the source of life itself. And ultimately, the grave is powerless in the face of this word. The word is life, and it casts out fear. So why would we neglect it? I pray that we don't. This morning, we've seen how the Word produces healthy churches. Um, We looked at how it creates missional churches. We've seen how God's Word creates engaged churches, churches that live out and proclaim the gospel. We touched on the nature of the church, and we touched on the character of the church that results from the Word. And finally, we looked at the living and active power of the Word. What I hope is abundantly clear is that God, through his word, is productive. The word brings life. It produces community. And not just any community, not community like the world knows. The community of love we need and sometimes maybe even desire is the community that God the Father invites us to experience, that the Son died and rose again to create that the Spirit has come to breathe life into. And so I ask, how will you submit yourself to the Word this year? 
How will this commend and support the community that God is creating? So first, maybe hearing this, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to come to Christ. You've heard the message of the cross. You know your sin, and you need to simply respond to the word in faith, in repentance. Then that's a great place to start. Don't go further than that if that's where you need to be. Do that first. Respond to the word in faith. For some of you, maybe it's just reading. Maybe you need to spend concerted effort, exertion, labor in the word, in scripture, regularly, daily. Maybe you're at the point where you need to extend your knowledge of God's word with history. Maybe you need to see how the church has responded to God's word over time. Maybe you need to study theology, pull out a systematic theology, ask Brian or myself for one or anybody who has one to see how God's church has responded to God's word. Or maybe it's biographies. You can pick up a biography and see how missionaries and pastors have faithfully proclaimed God's word, how the church has been formed by the Spirit as he illuminates the word for them. So maybe it's just reading. Maybe reading isn't your thing. Maybe you need to find something you can listen to, a Bible on audio, good podcasts that will explain scripture to you to help you grow. We have a couple podcasts you can listen to, and I encourage you to do so as additional ways to interact with the word. Maybe it's just study. Maybe going beyond just reading and maybe beyond reading about Scripture, but digging deeper into Scripture. You don't have to like biblical languages. It doesn't have to be your thing. But maybe a good commentary is what you need to do to commit to the Word this year. Or maybe it's meditation. You have reading Scripture down. You have your Bible year reading plan worked out. But are you taking the time to dig down into a particular verse and let the Spirit really interact with it and change your heart? Not just to hear the words and let them run past and then you run off to a busy day, but are you really letting Scripture change you? Another opportunity that you can interact with the Word is going to be memory. Are you putting God's word in your mind so that you can recall it when you don't have your Bible on you? I know everybody has their phone and can probably pull up scripture pretty quick, but do you know where to look? Do you know where to go when you're in trial, when your brother or sister is in trial? Do you know the word? And so ultimately, I want to stress that one. It is very possible for us to build this bank of scriptural knowledge and one, not let it affect our lives and then not use it for the benefit of others in the body. So I encourage you as you memorize scripture, do it in mind that you will then be able to use that to bless the rest of the body and then hopefully bless those who don't know Christ yet. You may be spending all of your time in the word. It may be helping you grow but maybe you just need to be obedient. Maybe that's where you need to start in 2023. 
or continue in 2023. Maybe it is just sheer obedience, recognizing that Jesus is the Lord and you need to follow his command. With the Thessalonians, maybe it's imitation, closely related to obedience. But maybe you need to find biblical examples within this body who can help you deal with sin, who can help you learn how to proclaim the gospel to those who don't know him, to don't know Christ. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe your prayers need to be more impactful because you are filling them with God's word. You are reminding yourself as you pray of God's promises. You're not just memorizing scripture so that you can win the Bible drill, but you are memorizing scripture so that you can be reminded as you pray who God is, what he's promised, what he desires from you and this body. Maybe it's singing. I don't know if that looks like singing in the car or singing in the shower, singing at home or singing in church. Maybe the thing that you need to do as you center your life around the word is to sing with your full heart. Not just, oh, I hear the other rest of the body, they're singing, that's great. Maybe you need to be the one singing out, reminding yourself and reminding those around you that God is glorious, that he's worthy of worship, that he's met your need. Maybe it looks like really encouraging one another. Maybe it's not about our obedience. Maybe it's about encouraging the rest in this body, being focused beyond ourselves. And then maybe we're doing all of that and we just simply need to share. We need to know how to proclaim. We need to use the word, put it into practice, and share our faith. Tell people what God has done. Invite them into our homes. See them on the street and actually go beyond the how's the weather. Paul tells the Thessalonians, your work, your exertion, your steadfastness in the word are worth it. Don't quit now. Don't stop. Don't grow weary. Look ahead to the hope you're called to and keep pressing forward. Will you pray with me? Father, would you take the word, push it deep within our hearts and our minds. May we be imitators of Paul as he imitates Christ. May we encourage one another to seek Christ, to follow Christ, to know Christ better. God, would you make the gospel richly alive in our church, in our conversations, in our prayers? God, push all things that would distract us from you out, that we could focus on you as your people, as the people you've chosen to love care for, and conform to your image. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>